Hello, my name is Andy Lee, and you're listening to Orbis Podcast. On this podcast, we will talk to innovators, idealists, and people who are trying to change the world for good through digital health. For this episode, we spoke with Dr. Aman Badi. He is a digital health futurist and pharmaceutical executive focused on developing revolutionary technologies to increase healthcare accessibility, predict disease onset, and improve health outcomes worldwide. He has over a decade of experience as a global leader, and we are very excited to have him here today. Hey, Aman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know I gave a quick intro, but could you please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so Aman Badi, I'm the VP of Global Medical Affairs and the head of Biopharma Partnerships at AliveCore. And my role at, at AliveCore is really to head up partnerships with pharmaceutical companies, clinical research organizations known as CROs, where our device can be utilized to improve patient experience, proof patient outcomes of those that are taking various types of medicines, including cardiovascular medicines and non-cardiovascular medicines. So that's my background. Coming to this, I saw in your background, you've made a few shifts in your career from medicine to pharma and now to digital health. I would love to know what made you switch from pharma to digital health? Yeah, I uh, spent my career, a majority of my career in consumer healthcare companies, uh, Reckie Van Kieser, Novartis, GSK, uh, and then uh, most recently, Sanofi Consumer Health. And in these consumer healthcare roles, uh, we're very focused on innovation. How do you find the next new product for our consumers to treat various ailments? And part of that innovation process is to uh, look at not only just traditional medicinal agents, but also look at uh, digital tools, as digital tools have been increasing over the last decade. Um, we started evaluating at these at these various companies how can digital tools help improve uh, patient patient outcomes, um, whether that's a true digital therapeutic, uh, you know, where maybe there's an app that could be used to treat a certain ailment, or whether it's what's called drugs plus or beyond the pill strategies, where a technology is being used in conjunction with a medicinal agent to improve outcomes health trackers, wellness trackers. We started evaluating those many, many years ago. And that's how I started realizing that there's actually a lot that we can do when you take a digital tool and combine it with drug therapy. There's a lot you can learn with the data that's coming back to help continuous improvement. And you can even find new medicinal agents and compounds while using these digital tools based off the data that you're getting back. So for me, I was in a traditional pharmaceutical companies where the role was to evaluate digital healthcare startups, find the right partners that we can work with to help advance our agenda and also help advance you know, our innovations. But truth be told, in large companies, it becomes sometimes hard to truly innovate at a rapid space, a rapid speed. You know, startups kind of go, you know, are functioning at breakneck speeds and large companies are obviously looking at what can go wrong <laughs> with everything um, that, 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 uh, that, you know, if we implement this tool, what are all the things that can go wrong and how do we, how do we mitigate for those? And so I decided that uh, I'd like to look at how can we, how can I actually switch and go into a health tech company where, Again, there's constant innovation, fast-paced growth, new product launches happening every few months, rather than just kind of sitting back and, you know, analyzing and analyzing and analyzing and kind of seeing the world advance, you know, from the outside. So uh, made the leap from Sanofi to AliveCorp. And I will say that I think that I'd like to, you know, continue to be in the, the startup space at least. Absolutely. How has advancements in digital health, whether that's through medical devices or AI, 
impacted the healthcare ecosystem? In particular, can you speak to the impact on healthcare providers, patients, and institutions? I, I think that there's there's positive and negative impacts, right? So the positive impacts are very clear. The data from these tools that are being used by patients are being used by hospital systems and also healthcare providers to improve their overall healthcare plans, guidelines, how, patient care, patient management, you know, helps inform hospital systems on whether or not they're doing good or not, right? Are they able to truly save lives and improve patient lives that are coming into their system? Patients feel more better in touch and connected to their healthcare providers, you know, by using remote monitoring tools, for example, patients have better experience in regards to their visits because now the physicians have much more data about them beyond just that one single touch point in their office, right? So, you know, historically you would go in and see your doctor maybe once a year. Maybe if you have hypertension, you go twice a year to your cardiologist. Now you're going, you know, you're going in maybe still twice a year, but you're going there with data for months or even the weeks leading up to the visit. But it's a lot more data that the physician can rely upon to understand what's going on when you're outside of the doctor's office, right? And for the physician, again, from their point of view, a lot more information for me to be able to determine what to do next and what recommendations I can make. The negatives have been, I think there's there's a couple of things. One is there is this conversation happening around when is there too much data, right? How much noise is in the data? Can the data be reliable? There's too many healthcare sensors out there. So what is garbage and what's not garbage, right? Can I trust my patient using this device versus another device, right? And I think physicians are relying upon patients as well as medical device manufacturers to provide them data that says that, yes, I can trust this information or that this is as reliable as what I use in the office or as reliable as what I used to use that may not have the right patient experience, but was clunky that I would attach to a patient in the past. And there is this fear of also a lot of false positive results leading patients to go into the healthcare system unnecessarily. So for example, you do a test at home, you don't realize as a patient, the average consumer doesn't realize the false positivity rate goes ahead and finds out that they may have high cholesterol uh, based off of some at-home test, right? And they'll run to the doctor, make unnecessary appointments, they run the labs and they say, well, you're fine. You know, why did you come in? Well, I took this at-home test and it said that I have this issue. And so there is this conversation that does occur with physicians that are you are you creating more work for me? Are you pulling in or pushing in unnecessary office visits? But for the most part, I think, you know, if you zoom out, there has been a massive positive impact on the entire healthcare ecosystem. And again, I think as we get more and more comfortable with analyzing data, we'll be able to realize that this can only lead to better and better technologies. Right now, there absolutely is a lot of noise out there. There absolutely is a lot of junk in the system, but I'm very hopeful that over time uh, that improves. Oh, interesting. How can we mitigate these quote-unquote risks that you've identified, whether that's the false positives or the excess trips to the hospital? Will this simply go away with better technology? Yeah, I think it's, uh, again, twofold. I think one is you're absolutely right that, yes, product improvement. I think the other piece is education, education to the doctors and education to the patients, right? I think there needs to be fair, balanced information that's being provided to patients for them to clearly understand that this test is an indicator, right? 
versus this test is a diagnostic. And I think the FDA even has, you know, in the U.S. especially, right? The FDA has parameters to whether or not you could call your product an actual diagnostic. And so I think that there needs to be education to patients. There needs to be education to physicians as well, that it's actually not a bad thing if you're getting patients that are perhaps unnecessarily coming to you. Yes, there is anxiety that patients have that you have to deal with. But at the end of the day, if we're pushing patients into the healthcare system, I may be I may be one man on an island here, to be honest. I know that many of my peers say the opposite, but I believe that pushing patients into the healthcare system is a good thing. I think that in the context of, you know, would I rather be at home and not realize that I am at risk of having a heart attack, even if it's two years from now, and so therefore I just go and do nothing? Or is it better for me that maybe I have a problematic conversation with my GP where they may say, why are you worried about this? You know, that's something we worry about later on. But it's a educational talking opportunity for them, right? So they're able to say, this is fine. You know, I know that you did this at-home test and it says that, you know, you have hypertension, but you're fine. But here's what you should be doing. Here's the lifestyle modifications. Here's what you should be looking out for, points to consider. Why don't you go exercise, go walk more, right? Maybe it's more preventive interactions. So mm -hmm. I, I, I do think that education as well as, you know, just overall technology improvement will help kind of mitigate these concerns for false positives. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Thinking more globally or more broadly speaking, I know you're based in the US, I'm here in Germany, and we're currently growing our community in Singapore. What are some things organizations should consider when taking a product from one market to another? or really expanding their footprint globally? Yeah, I think you need to really understand the local healthcare system. But what you need to understand is what's the standard of care in each market. So what are the guidelines that physicians are following? You need to understand what's the role of various different HCPs in those markets. For example, in the US, we have the PAs and NPs that have an increasing responsibility and their services that they're offering are much more meaningful now than when you look at maybe about 10 years ago. You also have to understand how consumers are different. A marketing advertisement that you make in Canada may not resonate with the US consumer and vice versa. I've worked on brands in the past where we saw that very clearly, you know, even products, even a product that may do fantastic in one market, you bring it to another market, you know, again, Canada to the US, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's North America, it's very similar. No, culturally very different. It really is this multifaceted approach of understanding what's the standard of care, what's the role of various uh, HCPs in that healthcare ecosystem, where are patients going for information first, what's the role of the pharmacist, what role does Google search play, for example, in a person figuring out what's wrong with them first versus second, do they trust what physicians say, you have some cultures where the physician is held up on a pedestal like close to God and whatever they say is gospel. And then you have other markets where, like the U.S., where we fact check our physicians and we go in with telephone book thick, you know, printouts of, hey, you know, Dr. Google said, I have these 15 things. Now prove that wrong, right? <laughs> but I think that you need to look at it from a consumer approach, go to patients where they are, meet your patients where they are, you know, take in the cultural aspects, understand your con consumers, do some consumer segmentation work, look at current standard of cares in the market. What are the competitors in the market? Why is one product preferred over another? Is it form factor? Is it that the physicians like the way the data comes into them? What role can a patient play in their own healthcare? So does that specific market allow for a patient to request a certain product be used over another. And then obviously, economically, what is the environment? 
Is it a patient pay model? Is it something that you need to go after reimbursement? For in, in Germany, you know, we're seeing the changes in the digital reimbursement landscape, for example. And so, you know, how does your product's data allow for, you know, reimbursement? What's your data strategy to allow for reimbursement in those markets? So really is a multifaceted approach. I think some companies make the mistake of just saying that if our product is successful in one European market, it must be successful in the country that you know we share a border with. Not absolutely, not not true in any way. Physicians are very different, and uh, patients are very different, and the healthcare ecosystem is very different. For sure. Now, once you've decided which market to hone into, how does an organization go about developing their revenue model? What factors should they consider? Whether that's B two C or B two B or a combination of both. Yeah, I think that once you hone in on the market you're trying to go into and you figure out, you know, again, what's the healthcare landscape look like, that should really help drive, number one, understanding if it's a socialized medicine environment, B2C may have limited, it is not to say that people won't pay out of pocket, but you will have a lot of people saying that, why am I paying for this out of pocket when the government should pay for it? And so you kind of have to do a second filter, which is, okay, if I am going B2C in a market that offers a free healthcare, is the output of my device, is the output of my app or service or tool or whatever you have relevant more to a consumer or more to a physician who's overseeing patient care. If it's to a consumer, what other services can I offer to the consumer that can make this more valuable to them? Am I offering something that is going to be antithetical to physicians in a sense that you know, they may look at you being alienating? Why are you offering my patients this diagnostic service, this tool, this, this monitoring platform when that's my responsibility as the physician? So I think you really need to kind of look at is your product really a consumer product? Can you add on consumer level services to enhance, you know, the consumer centricity of your product? If you're walking into a model or an environment where there is a, a patient pay model or there's a you know, private healthcare model like in the US, then I think you need to look at, okay, is the output of my device more valuable to a patient that a patient can make decisions on their own and make their own actions and take their own actions and take their own healthcare in their hands? Or is, is the output of my device and platform something that's actually going to help and improve physician capabilities? you know, physician decision-making, potentially improving outcomes, potentially saving money to the healthcare system. And if that's the case, then you want to go to the B2B model or direct-to-physician model. Uh, so I think that you need to really understand at the end of the day, what is the benefit of your product and service? And is it going to really help patients on their own to drive their own decisions? Or is it going to be helpful to physicians to help drive decisions that they make on patient care? Absolutely. And to bring it back to the previous question, I imagine that revenue models even differ from one country to the next based on the factors you mentioned previously, whether that's the standard of care, the role of HCPs in the ecosystem, where patients get their information, and et cetera. Absolutely. And I think you also have to look at kind of parallels as well, right? So you may have a price point that's $20 and in one country that's cheap and in another country, maybe that's equivalent to one week's wages, right? So I think that you need to really understand the markets that you're going into. And again, you may have a B2C model in one market, but it's a B2G model in another market. There are multitudes of ways that you can go to market across the globe, but you really need to understand local constraints and local economical factors you also have to look at what other aspects of your company can be leveraged for revenue as well. Data, 
for example. Data, when anonymized and de-identified, can be extremely valuable in two ways. One is it's invaluable for your own company, right? So you should be digesting your own data and understanding what product improvements we can make and what are some opportunities that we're missing, but then also utilizing that data to actually generate revenue. And I think that we have to face facts. Right now, our data is being utilized to provide materials and information to us that resonate with us. I know that there's a lot of companies, especially social media companies, that got a lot of flack for that. It is a revenue model if used right and responsibly. So it's not just the product, but it also is utilizing the data that you're receiving. And then lastly, you could go to large corporates, pharmaceutical companies, for example, and look at how can your device be utilized with a specific drug or how can it be utilized in maybe clinical trials to improve the capture and processing of data. And so I think there's multiple revenue models beyond just B2C and B2B. Or I would say maybe B2B is wider than just large healthcare systems. Interesting. But before we get too excited about the different types of business models, I want to take a look at it from a different perspective. As a clinician, I would love to know what are key considerations and barriers to digital health adoption from a clinician point of view? I think the barriers are, does this fit in my current standard of care? Mm -hmm. As a clinician, that's the key. Do I have to do something significantly different to utilize this in my day-to-day? Do I have to have somebody from my staff log on to a separate system just to do a task? I think it's more ideal when product interstitches into their current workflow. So I think that if you can, as an organization, any company out there, when you're considering a product that's going to be utilized by clinicians, really understanding what is, when I say what is the standard of care, I don't mean what's in the guidelines, right? There's guideline-based medicine, and then there's what's happening in the office on a day-to-day basis. And what's the process? What's the work order? Is it that the patient comes in first, and then they get seen by the nurse, and then after the nurse, then the physician walks in, and what's happening in the interim? Who's doing what? Who's watching what, right? So you want to really understand day-to-day workflow. And if your product can fit into that workflow or make it the easiest way to fit into the workflow, I think your product is going to be better adopted than if they have to do something completely different in the day. Absolutely. Now, switching gears to pharma startup partnerships, I wanted to ask you about your experience. How can both parties better work together and what are some pitfalls to avoid? So I think one needs to understand that Digital health and pharma partnerships are in their infancy. Mm. Uh, Yes, there are success stories, but they're an iceberg, right? The success stories you see, there's many, many failures that they sit upon. I think that what's helpful for the startup to understand who exactly in the pharma company they're talking to and what is that person's goal, personal objectives, as well as business objectives. For example, if, you, if you're talking to a marketing lead, their goal is to improve market share and they want their product to be number one. They want their product to take lead. Maybe the product right now is number three in the market. They want it to want number two. They want to go from number two to number one, number three to number one, whatever it is. And so the conversations that you're going to have around market share are going to be how can your product, your service, your tool, when used it directly with inpatients taking a certain drug, improve patient experience, and then what can you talk about that in patient outcomes, and how can that help physicians increase their prescribing of that product? Can you have patients that say, hey, how about this? Can I take this one instead of that one, right? So you kind of want your patients asking for a certain medicine as well. Again, obviously, physicians are going to choose what's best for their patients based off of the information that they have about their patients. But if you're talking to somebody, you know, market access or payer access, they're going to be looking at how do I make sure that my product can be 
reimbursed for at a higher rate than where it currently sits. And so again, how can the data or how can your product help improve tier pricing? If you're talking to R&D, they want to come up with new innovations. They may want to improve clinical trials, you know, accelerate clinical trials or have the data out of their clinical trials to be more meaningful, maybe monitor for something that they weren't monitoring from before. So I think it really is up to the startup to understand who's sitting on the other side of the table and what's, what are they incentivized to do? Why are they talking to us and what their goals are? and then being able to put programs together that complement their objectives. I think that startups should also make sure that they do as much homework as possible before they present to a prospective pharma company. Uh, all too often, we've been through presentations when I was sitting in pharma, where you would have the startup come and they would kind of talk about how they got to where they are, what product they have to offer. They would just stop there. They wouldn't put in thoughts around how can we work together? Maybe perhaps assuming that the person sitting on the other side is so creative enough to come up with a, oh, here's how I think our collaboration can work and waiting for the pharma company to tell you. The other thing is you also have to be ready for pharma partnerships. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things is the resources that you have in your startup are being utilized to focus on your goal, your business objectives. And oftentimes when pharma comes across the table, as an opportunity, those same resources will need to be directed towards solving this pharma company partner problem. You know, you will need your legal team to look at things. You'll need your regulatory team to look at things. And it's not just engineering. It's not just product. It's every facet of your organization will be touching the product that you are working on with your pharma company. So are you in fact ready? Are you resourced? And then lastly, I would say is the request on the pharma company side is to be very respectful of that. Realize that there is an opportunity cost that you must be able to face. You are asking this company to completely distract their organization of 20, 30, 50, 100 people. And again, not all 100 are going to be working on the project all the time, but they will have to use some of their time to, first of all, get up to speed. What are we doing with them? Why are we doing this? Oh, okay, okay. Now you need me to you know, write this line of code or you need me to review this document and whatnot. So I think the pharma companies also need to be a little bit understanding of, is this the right time? And if not, how can we fund them so that they can get those resources? And what milestones can we put in place together? Kind of like how pharma companies generally today have R&D innovation. R&D innovation is a phased approach. You basically are starting off with finding out what is the problem you're trying to solve for, then designing what the solution looks like, then developing the solution, then deploying the solution. And I think that people need to kind of follow the same logic when they're looking at these uh, pharma partnerships. It really helps both sides of the table in putting realistic objectives and realistic timelines together. Fantastic. And for our last question, how can digitization throughout the broader healthcare ecosystem prepare us for the future? And really what innovation and or advancements do you look forward to in the digital health space? So everybody's talking these days about the metaverse. I think that one of the things is, how can we innovate in the metaverse? Um, I have no idea. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what can be done, but I think that that is something very interesting to me. For the most part, it really is trying to figure out how can the experience of being in the metaverse help improve mood disorders and, and depression, anxiety. Obviously, mental health is probably the first thing that comes to mind. But beyond that, what else can we do? What else can we offer? 
I think that will be a very interesting space to see how can that how can the metaverse be used in clinical research or data from the metaverse I should say be used in informing healthcare data from the metaverse informing pharma drug development clinical trial protocol development you know new product development new innovations I think that's going to be very key outside the metaverse I think really is just going to be again looking at all these connected health platforms I think what I'd like to see more, and I can't wait to see what the output is, but I know that there's companies working on, and Orbit is doing this as well, right? Which is trying to capture multi-sensors into one dashboard, if you will. And truth be told, I think that multi-sensor dashboard shouldn't just be for that specific physician type. So for example, if I'm going to a rheumatologist, I believe, I and mean, I bet you my rheumatologist friend is probably going to disagree with me, but <sighs> I believe that if I'm a rheumatologist, yes, I would love to see your movement, but it also would be good to see your blood pressure, your cardiovascular health, your you know, blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, kind of more holistic lens of who you are. And I just wonder, does that really, would that at some point, maybe not in the immediate term, but at some point, so much of that is being utilized by these clinicians across the different types of, you know, like if you're a psychiatrist, right, probably don't care about vitals and lab laboratory work as much as your GP does. But maybe if I now understand, well, I have a patient with anxiety, and now I kind of get why, because they're taking 15 medicines for all these different things. They're constantly worried about, you know, are they going to have a heart attack? And the question is, can all these multi-sensor products be utilized across the healthcare ecosystem to improve care, not just kind of cardiology, gastroenterology within a vacuum, right? So, so I think those two things, I think multi-sensor dashboards, if you will, as well as the metaverse are, are going to be fantastic to kind of keep a lens on. That was a conversation with Orbit Advisor, Aman Badi. I want to say thank you so much for spending time with me and allowing me to pick your thoughts. To learn more about what we're doing here at Orbit Health, feel free to check us out on our website at www.orbit.health. Don't forget to subscribe on our site or on our Spotify account. Thank you for listening and tune in next time on Orbit Podcast.